0: Let us pray. So Father, even now as we come to your word, help us to be keenly aware that all that we do must be in and through your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has accomplished for us through his cross and resurrection. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day. And um, honored today to have Deacon Jim Pittman assisting. Now, some of you may recognize uh, Deacon Jim. He and his wife, Judy, have been attending the church for about a year. Uh, Jim recently retired as a United States Navy chaplain after 30 years serving with another Christian denomination. And a week and a half ago at Anglican Chaplain's Convocation was ordained a transitional deacon, which means down the road he'll be ordained as a priest in the ACNA. And so giving him an opportunity um, to serve at the Lord's altar today. So congratulations, Jim. And his wife, Judy, sitting back in the back as well. Well, i'd invite you to take out your bibles or devices with scripture on them and turn to our gospel reading from matthew chapter 4 verse 23 continuing through matthew 5 2. and i'm wrapping up my introduction that i started last sunday to the series on the beatitudes which will take us through the summer focusing on the beatitudes of saint matthew's gospel we'll dive in in earnest after finalizing this introduction today, we'll dive in in earnest um, three Sundays from now. I'm away for the next two Sundays on vacation. Father Jed will be preaching and he is away at a family reunion today. As I mentioned last week, the focus of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is as New Testament scholar Craig Keener says, an example and a depiction of how kingdom ready people live. Last week, we also talked about the idea of the already and the not yet of the kingdom, a a term or concept coined by New Testament scholar, George Eldon Ladd in the 1950s. The idea that yes, we are already as God's people experiencing the blessings and the benefits in growing measure of God's kingdom. And yet we have the not yet because those things will not be known in full measure As a reality until our lord returns but the beatitudes or blessings of jesus in matthew's gospel give us a picture of how we live in this time the church age in between the ascension of christ and his return they give us a picture of how kingdom ready people live they give us a description and a picture of the ethics of the kingdom of god and they demonstrate how we should live and order our lives as God's people, as citizens first and foremost of Christ's eternal and heavenly kingdom. And to be clear, what is said in the Beatitudes and the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount is not simply futuristic. It is not simply theoretical. It is something that God equips and calls us as his people to live out here and now in this time. Because they show us, the Beatitudes and the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount shows us and instructs us how to live here as outposts of the kingdom of heaven. Showing the truth of the gospel to those around us in word and deed. We are called, brothers and sisters, as we talked about last week, to be what I would call kingdom, kingdom cultural. Meaning we reflect the priorities and the values of Christ's eternal kingdom, which is incredibly counterculture to the world in which we live. We are to be different. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. Now, to be clear, as I said last week, some people in the Christian world over the years have have equated different with being weird or eccentric. That is not what the Lord is talking about here. We need to be different in the way that we are set apart and our ways of being and our ways of doing are not of this world, but they reflect the heart and the character of God. Last Sunday I began this two-part sermon by giving a background regarding the Sermon on the Mount and the things leading up to it. And we we began also looking at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And we looked at the first of three key points last week. We talked about the components or priorities of Jesus' ministry. And we saw that according to scripture in Matthew 4:23, those priorities are teaching, preaching, and healing. I want to continue today with points two and three. So our second point is this, the compelling character of jesus ministry based on verses 24 through 25 of matthew 4. verse 24 of chapter 4 of saint matthew's gospel gives us a clear indication that the news about jesus was spreading far beyond the region where he was living as a matter of fact we read throughout all syria look at verse 25 with me and great crowds followed him from galilee and the decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. News about Jesus was spreading quickly far beyond his local region, far beyond Galilee, which was his base of ministry for most of his earthly ministry until about the last six months or so when he moved toward Jerusalem to be crucified. News of his teaching, his preaching, and his demonstrations of the reality and truth of his message were becoming well known and they were being heard not just by Jews but by Gentiles too when you look at this list of regions that people were coming from it's clear that this was expanding to the Gentiles it's important as I've just noted to see that Jesus stays in Galilee at this point and yet still news of him spread people came to check this guy out. They were compelled, they were drawn in for a variety of reasons and motives, but the reality is this. People are looking for hope. People were looking for hope then, and people are looking for hope now. And as believers, we should be looking to grow. We should be hungry and thirsting for more of God. People are looking for that which is real. Did you know that? People are looking for that which is real, that which is genuine. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the concluding verses in Matthew seven twenty-eight through 29, tell us this. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. As one who had authority Jesus drew people to himself then Jesus is still drawing people to himself and he does it through us through his church in the power of the Holy Spirit he does this brothers and sisters when by God's grace and power we live out the reality of Christ's kingdom the world does indeed need to see us as different than that which is around us. We must live and order our lives in such a way that we are that salt and light in this world that God calls us and commands us to be. And the fact is this, the more we accurately, accurately reflect Jesus, the more people will be drawn to him through us and the life of God in us. We cannot miss this fact. We can't miss it. The more Christ-like we become, the more kingdom culture-centered we become, the more people will be drawn to Jesus through our lives. The fact is that even in our skewed and messed up world, people can tell the difference between that which is real and that which is false when they encounter that which is real and true and genuine and of the Lord. I know many of you have heard this illustration, but. How do they train bank tellers to tell the difference between real and counterfeit money? They don't give them counterfeit. They had them handle real money over and over and over. They look at it so they can understand the, the minute details of what that money looks like. And they know what real money feels like. Or I think of ice cream. Now, I, um, I've backed way off in recent years, but I and a connoisseur of ice cream. As, as my pastor years ago at Trinity Assembly of God up in Baltimore used to say of himself, he said he had an ice cream stronghold. <laughs> but if you enjoy good quality ice cream, you've had good quality ice cream, you can tell the difference between cheap ice cream that is full of air, because that's what they do to stretch it more, and that dense, thick, good quality ice cream. You know, the cheap stuff, you put the scoop in and you just kinda soar right through it. You know, and the thick stuff, you've gotta dig and press to get that scoop in because it's dense and it's full and it's rich of cream and, and calories and fat and cholesterol and all of that stuff. But when you put it in your mouth, oh, what a difference. You can, when you've had the real stuff, and you've had the quality stuff, you know what the cheap is. And the cheap stuff, just like with people, is full of air. (laughs) But as we look at Jesus' ministry, the reality of that which is true and real and transforming is a critical part of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. It's also important as we, again, doing background leading into this series, um, note the fact that Jesus remained in Galilee Galilee at this time, and that was not just because it was convenient, it is also a direct fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah nine one through two, which Matthew four twelve through seventeen attests to. Look at Matthew four twelve through seventeen with me. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he, speaking of Jesus, withdrew into Galilee, and living and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has shined. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why is it so important to note this? Well, by fulfilling prophecy, Jesus demonstrates who he is. Jesus' ministry compelled people, calls people to him, calls people to a right relationship with God. And he still does this when ministry is truly in and through him. And then the third point of this two-part sermon is the content of Jesus' ministry. The teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, as I've already mentioned, was primarily for Jesus' disciples, for his followers. We see this in Matthew 5, 1 through 2, which I'll read again, I read it last week. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. The crowds were not yet followers, but neither were the opponents. They fall somewhere in between. So Jesus goes up on the mountainside. His disciples come to him and we can picture it sitting down around him, but the crowds are on the periphery and they hear all that Jesus is saying here as well. But Jesus goes up onto the mountainside specifically to teach. And it's important to note that he sat down. This was a sign or mark of a rabbi or teacher in that day. It was the custom that a teacher or a rabbi sat down. It's also significant that Jesus gives this teaching on a mountain because mountains in scripture symbolize the revelation of God. It's reminiscent of Moses on Mount Sinai, of the Transfiguration, also of the Mount of Olives where our Lord went to pray on the night that he was betrayed, but also where our Lord ascended back to the Father. It was the last place his foot physically touched the earth and it will be the first place that his foot physically touches the earth upon his return. A revelation of who he is as the Lord of glory. In Matthew's gospel, we already know by the beginning of chapter 5 that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, that he is the fulfiller of prophecy, the one through whom the Spirit of God is given, that he is the healer. We know this because of fulfilled prophecies. We know this because of John the Baptist and his testimony with regard to who Jesus is. We know this because of the words of God the Father and the descent of the Holy Spirit when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan by John. And we know this even by the words of Satan when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Jesus has authority to speak because of who he is. The commands and obligations of the Sermon on the Mount are grounded in who Jesus is. Do we understand that? They are grounded in the authority of Jesus Christ as the eternal son of God, as the savior of the world. And when we look at the commands and obligations of the Sermon on the Mount, we must remember that trying to obey them is not the starting point. It can't be. The starting point is salvation, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Because apart from this, apart from a living, active faith in Jesus Christ, it is absolutely impossible to walk in obedience to God. It's impossible to walk in obedience to God and his commands apart from God's grace and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit going on in our lives. It requires personally coming to grips with the reality of who Jesus is and responding appropriately. Confessing and embracing and yielding and surrendering to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord must come before we can respond in obedience to his commandments. Don't ever miss that. Otherwise, trying to keep God's commandments becomes legalism. It becomes a way to try to somehow earn our salvation, which is completely impossible, and the commands of God degenerate into a list of do's and don'ts, which can never be fully and truly obeyed because we're trying to do it in our strength and the weakness of the flesh. So it is grace and God's transformation and God's work in us, then responsibility and keeping and walking in obedience to the commands of God. Yes, we are called to and we must live and demonstrate the reality of Christ's kingdom. But remember, it is not about us. It is not by us. It is not about what we can do. It's about God's grace. It's about God's empowerment. It's about the grace that comes through faith and trusting Christ. It's about the grace of the sacraments like Holy Eucharist that we will receive in a little while where we are strengthened and built up as God's people to do God's work. It's about the power of God, the Holy Spirit, living and dwelling in, in our lives and filling us. It's about obligation lived out because of and through our life in God. Obligation, obedience to the commands of God that are not burdensome, but but obedience to the commands of God that is joyful and life-giving. I like what W.D. Davies and Dale Allison say in their commentary on this text. Hear this, before the crowds hear the Messiah's word, They're the object of his compassion and healing. Having done nothing, nothing at all, they are benefited. So, grace comes before task, succor before demand, healing before imperative. The first act of the Messiah is not the imposition of his commandments, but the giving of himself. And then they continue. Today's command, hear this, presupposes yesterday's gift. Today's command presupposes yesterday's gift. It is only through the gift of salvation that we have experienced and continue to experience that we can walk in obedience to God's command. God's grace. The gift of God's grace is the only starting point. So it begins with Responding to Jesus, not just once, but continuing to respond, to yield, to surrender. And then we live out the realities of God's kingdom. And again, what are they? Teaching and giving instruction in God's word. And that's not just for those who are called to vocational ministry. All of us are called to do that as we share the gospel, as we instruct others and walk with others in the way preaching, which is proclamation of the truth of Christ's gospel. Proclamation of the saving grace and wonderful work that God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. And then third, healing. And I use that very broadly, not just physical healing, which is a demonstration of the reality of Christ's kingdom. We are called to be. We need to be like Jesus. This is what the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, or I should say, and the Beatitudes are all about. The ethics, the realities of God's kingdom lived out here and now as outposts of heaven. This is what we need to be like individually. This is what we need to be like, brothers and sisters, as a church family. And as we grow in God's grace, as we grow in living out these realities, as we throw our arms open individually and collectively to the good work that Jesus wants to continue to do in us, and as the genuine authority of Jesus and the truth of who Jesus is and the life of God flows through us, when people taste that which is real in us, they will be drawn to Jesus. Reaching out, giving hope, proclaiming the truth of God requires nothing less. And I pray that as we look at the Beatitudes in the coming weeks that we will be challenged and that we will be drawn closer and that God will work in us to to make us more like Jesus, to make us more effective outposts of his kingdom here and now in this world. Let us pray. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for your grace and your mercy. We are so incredibly grateful that you have loved us first. And it is because of your great love and your transforming power that we can walk in obedience to your commands with great joy. So Lord, make us that salt and light you've called us to be. Make us ambassadors outposts of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, that our lives and the life of this church may reflect Christ, that we may reflect your glory and the honor of your name in a way that people are drawn in and come to know your grace and your transforming power in their lives as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.